I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply it is ryan here and i have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. <laughs> You're listening to the Red Sea Podcast, part of the Over the Monster Network, presented by SB Nation, hosted by Jake Devereaux, and featuring Keaton DeRocher. Welcome back to the Over the Monster Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined by Keaton DeRocher of Over the Monster and the Dynasty Guru, Keaton I just called this the Over the Monster podcast, but uh, it is the Red Seat podcast, which I just changed right then, uh, on the Over the Monster podcast network, because we're a big, bad podcast network now with many shows, so i got to remember that. Yeah, um, you, you've been doing that consistently on these episodes, and I'm, I'm like, oh, oh, okay, we're, we're, not, <laughs> we're not doing the Red Seat anymore, okay. I, <laughs> yeah, we are very much the Red Seat. I probably said something earlier. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I just uh, I think I got stuck in in the uh, in the title, but uh, anyhow, we are here with you for another edition of the Red Seat Podcast. Even though I write that it's the Red Seat Podcast on my agenda, uh, I don't always read it. But today we're going to get you caught up with uh, not only our current title right now, um, but how the Red Sox are doing. This is kind of like a check in after the first period. Uh, for any of you who play fantasy baseball, this. August 2nd was when the first period of play kind of ended for for teams. So it's just kind of a nice point to check in on the season. Ten games have elapsed, so we'll look at the Red Sox, where they stand. Um, we'll look at the offense, look at bright spots and negatives on both the offense and the pitching. And then we'll answer a whole bunch of your listener questions. So let's get right to it, Keaton. Um, the Red Sox are currently 3-7, and seven, good enough for last place in the American League. They are currently tied with both the Angels and the Royals with the 3 and 7 record. The only teams with a worse run differential in the American League are the Mariners and the Royals and they've allowed 57 runs, which is fourth worst in baseball and it's also worse than all of the teams uh in the American League almost except for two. Um but the Mariners lead the way with 60 uh, runs allowed. All of this is to say, um, this is a very bad start, and not uh, not what we were looking for. No, but not unexpected. Um, I think people were overly optimistic 
By people, you can just call me by my name, okay? (laughs) Okay. Uh, Jake was overly optimistic in the pitching. (laughs) Um, Particularly, I mean, I don't don't put, you know, so much hate on you or poking fun, whatever. Uh, When Evaldi, or not Evaldi, uh, Eduardo Rodriguez, before he had uh, his whole COVID issue, because um, you had valid points about Martin Perez and what might, be able to work here with the Red Sox. So Evaldi, Eduardo, and Perez in a weird season like this could have been uh, you know, a good enough top three of a rotation. Um, Perez hasn't worked out quite like you hoped. Obviously, Eduardo Rodriguez not with the team, and all we have is Evaldi. So I'm not sure, like, looking at the actual tools that they're rolling out there on a day-to-day, um, three and seven really shouldn't be a surprise. Yeah, unfortunately, I agree. Um, and we've talked a lot about the pitching woes here, so we won't spend a ton of time kind of rehashing a lot of the guys that we've already talked about having troubles, specifically guys like Ryan Weber and things like that. But yeah, I, th- I think you're right, Keaton. The only person on, on the pitching staff uh, who's really worked out so far is Eovaldi, who's been pretty terrific through those two starts. Um, and and for Martin Perez, I think the jury's kind of still out for me with him um, because he did have the better second start. Um, so I'm in a kind of wait-and-see mode with him, still not expecting a whole lot. He did mention the fact that Erod uh, is out for the season with the heart condition, um, Matt and I talked about that on um, the podcast that we do together that we've still not given a name to. Um, and this seems like pretty pretty much uh, an expected result and also I think pretty clearly the right result for a young, talented player on your team to, to not try and push him through to this season. Yeah, I said the last time we recorded that I figured because there was a statement from Erod that was like, I'm still planning on pitching haven't even thought about opting out and i was pretty confident that he wasn't even going to have to make the decision it was going to be made for him and that's essentially what happened uh he had his latest checkup and the doctor's like no no go don't do it shut down and i kind of expected that so um and it particularly with eduardo rodriguez but um i feel like with other positions on the roster uh, I'm just already looking forward to 2021 and things being markedly better than they are now. Um, and I don't feel that, like as disappointed in the results that we're getting because this is just such a weird season that it doesn't feel like an actual season, I guess. We're just kind of we're getting baseball, and that's good. Um, congratulations to whoever may end up winning. Nothing against their championship, but it just feels like I've just already been looking towards 2021 for like a couple weeks now. Yeah, I agree. Totally. Um, especially with how uh, Major League Baseball has kind of handled this whole situation and the fact that so many players have already gotten it on the Cardinals and the Marlins and it screwed up the schedule. I heard today that it was 24 games so far that have been postponed, uh, which is just completely unacceptable for were the season to be underway. Um, so I agree. I mean, it, it's it's kind of best case scenario for the Red Sox to have uh, a year like this um, in a shortened season to, to, to fans, I guess. Like that's, that's who it's best case scenario for, right? Because we have to only watch this for 60 games. But I think that uh, Matt made a good point about this kind of being the worst case scenario for the Red Sox being – uh, bad in a year like this because there's probably not going to be that many teams who are going to be buyers if they do make it all the way to the trade deadline um, and if they do it'll probably be reduced costs too so for teams that are really bad like the Red Sox are you're kind of looking to sell off assets and and get something back so I think that could be a missed opportunity for the Red Sox oh for sure and particularly like Jackie Bradley Jr. um being in the last year of his deal, like no one's going to give you anything for just like less than 30 games. Of yeah. A guy. So like in a regular season, like a full season, um, you probably would have been able to get something of value in return, but I don't think you're going to get anything. It might be different for, um, I'll use like a as an example who still has years left on his deal, but 
I still wouldn't expect a lot because they're basically paying for the future years, not this current year. Yeah, I kind of do think it might be a little bit of a different market for pitching. I don't think it'll be as robust as usual, but we've already, you know, every year at the trade deadline, we see pitching go for exorbitant costs and and hitters go for kind of less than we always expect. So if Eovaldi continues to pitch extremely well um, and be reliable, which is kind of funny because when I was putting together the show notes for this, everybody has been talking about Eovaldi as the only reliable starter on the team, uh, but he's only made 25 plus starts twice and only made 30 starts one time. So he's a guy who um, has had a pretty up and down career from an injury perspective in performance. But if he continues this, I could see Eovaldi and or someone like Brandon Workman uh, get moved for some type of assets. Yeah, could. I mean, particularly relief pitching, we see at the deadline goes for really weird amounts. And there's always like way more guys that get moved than we think. It wouldn't shock me, I guess, if people are asking the Red Sox about both Barnes and Workman. Yeah. Well, Barnes, if he keeps pitching like this, I don't think anybody's going to ask Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> um, all right, so let's talk about a couple other things here before we kind of get into assessing the players. Um, the other bit of news here is that Jonathan Lucroy has been um, – he was put on waivers. He was removed from the roster. He cleared waivers, and he's now back with the player pool. Um, it seems like – you know, I don't know what exactly the decision that was made here was. Maybe it was just that Pulwecki is the better receiver. Um, Pulwecki has actually been hitting quite well. We're going to talk about our hitters in just a minute. But uh, he's only had, I think it is 12 plate appearances. But he has an RBI and a run. Um, and he is batting 500 right now, which, uh, you know, obviously he won't keep that up. He hasn't had that many opportunities. But I've kind of liked what I've seen from Pulwecki. Yeah, I have too. Um we actually kind of talked a lot about what they would do at catcher, starting with uh, three catchers on the roster. It didn't make sense for them to keep all three, and I thought Pulecki was actually going to be the one just because of um, what the the noise coming out of uh, spring training and then summer camp about Lucroy and how well he was doing and being kind of like a leader within the team. I thought that they would just keep him around. I really wasn't hearing much about Pulecki. Um I'm sure he was probably just real steady through those, but... Um, we were just hearing more about Lucroy, so I thought that would be the way that they would lean, but that ended up not being the case. And Pulecki's actually been pretty darn good. Yeah, he really has. Um, yeah, he's been a really interesting player, and I think that kind of the perfect backup uh, to Sandy Leone, who is now hitting like one of the better players in the roster. So, uh, Christian let's- Vasquez? Uh, yes, sorry, man. <laughs> Sandy Leone. I had me myself thinking about backups. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Wow. That was a Freudian slip of sorts. I think uh, this hot streak of him is reminding me of uh, Sandy Leone's like two month tear <laughs> when it was Sandy's world and we were just living in it. Wow. Yeah. That was uh, hilarious. Um, all right. So let's get to these hitters. Um, some highlights. Uh, so Xander Bogarts, man, this dude is so good. Um, two home run game yesterday against the New York Yankees. We're recording this on a Monday. Um, he's batting 333, 371, 667 with a 185 WRC plus on the season. Six runs, nine RBIs, um, and making sick plays in the field. I love Xander Bogarts so much. He has been sort of a saving grace for me in watching these games just seeing how hard he plays, how he interacts with his teammates, and then the fact that, like, just no matter what, this dude puts up numbers. Yeah, and stepping into the leadership role, too, talking about the early struggles with the team and um, how it's going to be tough and they're just going to need to power through it and it's difficult to score, you know, nine runs every time you go out there, which is frustrating, but um, he's really kind of stepping up into the Mookie role, um, like, fully with playing great defense. Uh, he was already great. I felt like his defense was pretty underrated just in comparison to the league, but is putting it on display more now. Obviously he's always been a really good hitter. And now with Mookie not there, he's really kind of like the sole leader of the team and uh, with, well, maybe not sole, but him and JD, but we haven't really heard much from JD this year, which is a little bit interesting. 
Yeah, we definitely haven't heard a lot about JD, and that's someone who I definitely want to talk about. Um, and I, I want to just uh, focus on uh, the positives first. So let's let's put JD on the back burner for a second. The guy I want to talk about is Christian Vasquez because that's the player who um, has kind of really, really broken out here in a pretty significant way. Um, we saw it last year how he had, what was it, 23 home runs last season. Uh, just basically played amazing for the entire year defensively and offensively. Um, but right now, quietly, over the span of 2019 and 2020, um, offensively, Christian Vasquez is the 10th rated catcher by WRC plus with a 107, uh, WRC plus over 146 games played over that span. Um, that is one of the highest games played totals of any player on this list for catchers. The dude plays almost every single day. The guys in front of him on this list in terms of WRC plus, uh, Gary Sanchez, uh, barely in front of him at 110. James McCann, Robinson Chirinos, Omar Narvaez, uh, Yasmani Grandal, Will Smith, Tom Murphy, uh, Wilson Contreras, and Mitch Garver. There are not very many guys, and a lot of those guys that I named have over uh, under 100 games played at the position. So my question to you, Keaton, uh, we are going to play a little game of either or with Christian Vasquez in the rest of the league just to figure out how good he is. Okay? okay. Let's... Let's start with Gary Sanchez. Um, Gary Sanchez, over the last uh, year and change, has a batting line of 225, 309, 505. Christian Vasquez's line, 279, 322, 493. Who would you prefer? Man. Um... And uh, I should also note the war totals for these two players 4.1 for Christian Vasquez, 2.1 for Gary Sanchez. Yeah, and the, I mean the defense with Vasquez is far superior. So yeah, I think I'd go with Vasquez. Me too. Um, by WAR right now, there are only two players, uh, two catchers in baseball dating back to the beginning of 2019 who have a higher WAR um, than Christian Vasquez. So let's move up. Uh, Chirinos, um, James McCann, taking either of those guys over Vasquez? No. Especially with James McCann's defense. It's terrible. Um, Omar Narvaez. That's an interesting one. That is an interesting one. Um, Batting line for him. 273, 354, 452. Yeah, I mean, he's he's actually a pretty comparable hitter to Vasquez. But, again, the defense. I think uh, Narvaez was um, dead last in, like, framing in 2019. Yeah, he was um, terrible defensively. Yeah, so I'm going to go with Vasquez again because of the defense. Okay. Moving up the list, we have Will Smith and Tom Murphy. I'm going to take those two as a pair because both of those two had under 100 games but hit pretty well. Um, both of them slugged over 500 in limited time. Will Smith has been in a timeshare, and Tom Murphy, uh, I believe he's injured right now. But uh, Tom Murphy and Will Smith, pretty good defenders. Would you take either of those guys over Christian Vasquez? I'm gonna take Will Smith. I don't. I know the average won't probably be near where Vasquez is, but he's got youth on his side and still got the pedigree. Maybe it's just like the shiny new toy, but that's pretty close. Okay. Um, and would you take Christian Vasquez? These are the last few here over any of Yasmani Grandal, Mitch Garver, and Wilson Contreras. Or JT Real Muto, I should say. Um, Garver, yes. Grandal, I think, is really close. Uh, and I would take Contreras and Real Muto. Okay. So that puts Christian Vasquez as a top five catcher in baseball. Yeah. And if we go by war, he's number three. If we go by RBI over the last few years, he's number three. If we go by runs over the last year, he's number four. Home runs, he's currently number four. Uh, this dude does everything. He manages the game uh, from a defensive standpoint. Uh, defensive ranking, he's number three behind Austin Hedges and JT Real Muto. 
Christian Vasquez has broken out and become a legitimate star type player in the league. And I know that's kind of weird to say that a catcher is a star, but like if he's doing it offensively and defensively, and he's clearly carried the team in a bunch of ways this season um, already in just 10 games, it just seems like he deserves the credit. Yep. I completely agree. And I admitted this already on the pre-cap podcast, but in case you missed it, I was super wrong about Christian Vasquez. He was my pick for biggest disappointment this year because I thought he was playing a little bit above his head last year and wasn't sure if he'd be able to carry it over and be consistent. And with the changes that MLB made to the ball, like he just started hitting a bunch of home runs because prior to that, uh, you know, the ball changes, he, he gained like an extra 15 to 20 feet on his average fly ball length. So then all of his hits that didn't quite make it out were making it out. And uh, whether or not MLB made change to the ball or not, he just has such control of the bat at the plate right now. Like, it just goes beyond anything that, like, the nuances of what they're actually playing with. And it's just, it's his ability. And I was super wrong. Yeah, and that's the thing that's enticing about him, too. You mentioned the bat control there, Keaton. I mean, he's he's under 20% strikeout percentage, um, which is something that very few catchers uh, who, who made this list uh, can say here. He's... Let me just look. He is uh, in the bottom third and only like three or four catchers who played over 100 games have a lower strikeout percentage uh, than him. So he's putting himself in some very impressive company with that. Um, Moving on here to a couple other guys who are having impressive uh, beginnings of the year. Uh, Kevin Pillar has been hitting incredibly well. He's betting 387, uh, 613 slugging percentage. Um, don't expect that to keep up, but really enjoying that as it happens. Uh, Mitch Moreland, who has been banged up and kind of frustratingly so because Javis has been so bad and Mitch Moreland has been so good. He slugged 632 in the early going. I've wanted to see more of Mitch Moreland. Um, and then the final player who's played any significant time here is Jackie Bradley Jr. He's had sort of a middling debut. He's got a 104 WRC+. Plus. He's made a couple great defensive plays. Doesn't have a home run so far. Uh, strikeout rate's right around 30%, 30.3%. Um, any thoughts on JBJ, Moreland, or Pilar? Yeah. Um, Moreland has really just kind of been rock steady. Um, which is something that they've need as the like the transition to the the back end of the lineup. Um, Pilar, I don't really know what to make of because we haven't really. I mean, like we've seen him as he's played against the Red Sox, but like I don't know if he's prone to hot streaks and they should just keep riding this, or if he's I don't know, figured something out here in, in his late age. But JBJ is the most interesting to me of those three because. Um, he had such a hot start and he was going the other way. It seemed like he had really more control in the zone than he had shown previously and was uh, you know perfect time for it in a walk year um it's kind of toned down a bit and he's striking out a lot so i'm hoping that it's not just the he made his adjustments pitchers adjust back to him and then we're gonna see streaky jbj again but i have more confidence in him um based on what we saw that that's not the case and that he'll be able to carry this through uh, which is huge for the lineup because that's if we can actually get a consistent JBJ for an entire season, if it's a, even if it's only sixty games, uh, it's kind of a game changer. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about JBJ. Um, I don't really think he can carry it through. Uh, he's already kind of gotten cold over yeah. here in his his last little bit, and we've seen how how long his cold streaks go and how frigid they are. But I do think that there is something here with balancing JBJ's cold streaks with playing Kevin Pillar. Um, and I think that that is something that I'd like to see Ron Renicki rely on because those two together can work really well as a platoon. And I think that needs to be kind of maximized. And on those days that JBJ isn't playing, those are days that he can kind of work on his craft and maybe... Um, have the advantage of getting out of these slumps a little bit easier. Because if we remember in the past few years, the Red Sox have had, you know, maybe the best outfield in baseball with JBJ, Benintendi, um, and, and Mookie Betts as part of that unit. But JBJ kind of played every day, even when he was going really bad. So I wonder if having some increased opportunities for time off could help him 
you know, maybe not deep in those slumps so bad. That's a pretty interesting observation. Yeah, that will that'll be interesting to to watch as the season progresses. That's definitely something to keep an eye on. All right, let's talk about the guys who are not doing so hot. Um, Alex Verdugo got a 48 WRC plus in the early going, 231 batting average. Um, hasn't really hit anything for extra bases. JD Martinez has been awful, 79 WRC plus. That one shocks me. You already mentioned it. We'll definitely touch on that. Your boy Chavis um, with the worst mark on the team, 38 WRC plus. Uh, 45% K rate so far, Keaton. <laughs> That's not good, man. That is not good at all. Um, Rafael Devers, he's starting to turn things around. 75 WRC plus. Uh, Andrew Benintendi um, in a race to the bottom with Chavis for coldest player. Uh, 58 WRC plus. He gets the award for lowest batting average at 0.83. And Jose Peraza, um, who... Uh, is the apple of Ron Renicki's eye, uh, 59 WRC plus, uh, 270 uh, on base percentage, showing us that he is still Jose Peraza. Um, let's talk about JD Martinez first. What the hell's going on with this guy? He looks terrible. I don't know. And it's definitely concerning, especially because he actually started off the first series against the Orioles rather well. And since then has just. Like, lost it. I don't think I've ever seen him look this lost at the plate. No, I don't think I have either. Um, and he's been complaining about the lack of video. So I guess there's a different rule this year um, that you can look at video on the players from prior games. But if he's facing a pitcher right now, he's not allowed to go back and look at um, in game at bats. Yeah, like previous wow. at bats. And um, a lot of players, like, Lou Merloni was talking about this on the radio today. Um, a lot of players like don't even like to do that during a game because they feel like it's too much information. Um, but J.D. Martinez, as we know, has been one of these guys who's been extremely reliant on on information. So he's kind of citing that as a reason for his struggles. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Yeah, I mean, that makes a ton of sense. I mean, he's talked about making in-game adjustments on pitchers and um, in his different at-bats and approaching them differently later in the game versus first, like his leadoff. Um, if he doesn't have the video that he used to to make those adjustments that actually is a pretty significant change to his routine sure yeah and as we know baseball players are creatures of routine sure are yeah yeah that's got to be got to be something concerning i mean he did almost hit one out against the yankees yesterday he was i think he hit, what did he hit it over aaron hicks's head is that who it was out in center field i think it was um but man, you got to think that hitter that good's going to figure this out soon. All right, so yeah. I don't. I'm assu- I'm going to assume you're not worried about Devers based on what we saw yesterday. No, I'm not. I have a little little to no concern about Devers either. I think he's going to be fine. Um, I have a very low concern with Alex Verdugo as well. Uh, I've liked enough of what I've seen. I've liked a lot of his at bats. I think he's not getting into any power yet, but like. I'm actually not super concerned with his start. What do you think? No, neither am I. I think um, once he started getting consistent at-bats with the Dodgers last year, he really took off before getting hurt. 
Um, he just hasn't been getting consistent at bats because he's basically been in a, in a platoon for some egregious reason. Yeah, uh, which is a maybe a topic for another day. But I think that he needs he just needs to get more at bats and get more comfortable at the plate and kind of sink in, especially with um, last year was the I, he played like over 100 games last year, which is the most games that he had played. Then got hurt, then got ramped up for spring training, then sat down again, then ramped up for a spring or for a summer camp. Um, that actually kind of takes a toll on guys. And I think maybe we're not giving or kind of thinking about that enough in terms of uh, some of these guys' slow starts. Like, there's a ton of guys around the league in general who are stars who we expected a lot of who are just, they've got nothing to play right now. Yeah, like um, Christian Yellick and Ronald Acuna and yeah. some of the best players in the entire game, Cody Bellinger. Yeah, it's just kind of like completely widespread. And I think they just need more at bats to get more comfortable and all this stuff is going to flush out. And I think Verdugo is one of those. I agree. I agree. Uh, he's got enough talent. I'm not super worried about it. The three players on the roster that I'm most worried about and the order in which I'm worried about them is uh, Peraza, least worried out of these three that I'm very worried about. Ben Intendi, second most worry. Michael Chavis, third most worry. How would you rank that group? I mean, most worry for Michael Chavis. I was going to say, I yeah. kind of like went down and then back up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Screwed myself up there. So least um, worried about Peraza, medium worried about Benny, and very, very worried about Chavis. Yeah, I would probably put it in the same order because I don't know how much I'm really expecting from Peraza. So if he's struggling, it's just kind of like, that's what he does. Yeah, I, that's exactly how I feel. Like, he's got a 59 WRC+. plus. Okay, like... If you told me that was going to be a season line, I'd be like, yeah, okay. That's about what I expected. You know, that it's yeah. obviously worse, but, like, not that much worse than what we expected. Yeah. Benintendi's been struggling, but he still has an incredible ability to get on base. He has a 26.5% walk rate right now, which is incredible. Um, so, while he obviously is struggling at the plate, and I think he's one of those guys that needs more at-bats as well, um, but I know patience is thin in a short season like this. Um, I just, I'm not, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty close second to Peraza for Benintendi. Obviously, it hasn't been great, but I, I still have a lot of confidence that's going to turn around. Um, and then I'm, I'm starting just to become very sad about Michael Chavis. Breaking my heart. Yeah, me too, man. Um, I mean... <laughs> I'm different than you because I had no optimism. So I treated Michael <laughs> Chavis uh, before the season the same way you treated my guy Martin Perez. Uh, so we both yeah, really just fair. didn't believe in these players. But Michael Chavis, I'm to the point where I am legitimately questioning, like, do they make a move here? Do they just bring up Bobby Dahlbeck? I mean, I don't know. I don't know what to do here. Um, I almost think it's worth it to like wave a player like a Sue Wei Lin in order to keep uh, Chavis on the roster and bring up Dahlbeck. I, I don't know. Like, I don't see how they can continue to play Michael Chavis if he does this for, say, like another week. Yeah, I think I agree. And particularly with Renicky's love for Peraza, like it won't be long before um, Chavis – is just spending most of the time on the bench. But, I mean, it's it's a little hard to judge with small sample size, and I'll admit that. Um, like, with even with Benintendi's walk rate, it's 26.5, which is stupid high, but it's also a small sample size, so only 10 games. Um, Michael Chavis is a 45% strikeout rate, which is way higher than um, his strikeout rates even in the minors uh, and what it was last year. So that's pretty concerning as well other than the fact that he's just not hitting he's striking out almost every time yeah and it's just tough to watch it is um and the thing that's tough about it is all of the gaps that we talked about that are in his swing um are still there um now now that baseball is still playing so those things weren't addressed or or didn't seem to have taken if he did try to address them in the off season which has me very worried on the flip side, talking about Andrew Benintendi, I'm very worried about his confidence levels because I'm confident that Andrew Benintendi can hit the baseball. We've seen it. 
Um, and we've seen it happen pretty consistently over the last three seasons. So Andrew Benatendi looking completely lost at the plate and very passive too. He, he just looks like a guy who doesn't believe in himself right now. That's very concerning to me. Um, and Andrew Benatendi is a guy who at this point in time, I was kind of looking at him to take the leap to go from, you know, really good everyday player to all-star. And it seems like he's regressing. Yeah, I agree. And that's why I think I'm not quite ready to, to jump the boat on him. And I think that with more at-bats, some of the stuff will start to even out. But the trends are just so obvious, it's kind of hard to ignore. Yeah, they really are. And I guess this begs the question um, next of with Peraza and Benintendi being Renicki's two most popular options to lead off games, where does he go from here? Does he finally give Verdugo a chance? I mean, Verdugo is not exactly lighting the world on fire either. Yeah, I mean, I would like to see the everyday outfield be Benintendi and Verdugo in the corners and JBJ and Pilar used as like a platoon, but or, or just a, like a true fourth outfield. Um, but it keeps rotating really all four of them, like every game. So I just think that also kind of shakes some players' confidence, um, and guys should be just kind of put in their roles. And, I mean, like, it's obviously different comparing it to the pitching last year, but the pitching was all over the place, and then they gave people actual roles, and then they thrived. And I think the same thing can happen at the plate, and it's why we see guys, like, thriving at a particular position on the field, Versus being used as a utility guy, uh, even though obviously your fielding doesn't have much of an effect on your hitting, it's just being comfortable. And I don't know if anybody, any of the outfielders right now are really comfortable except maybe JBJ. That's such a great point. And I, and I think that that gets lost a lot, especially when you're making transitions as a team to different managers. Um, Renicky seems to be a little bit more, more robotic in his approach to the lineup and kind of how he deals with timeshares and things like that. What I loved about Alex Cora and how he managed this team is he understood that baseball players are people first and foremost um, and kind of treated them as such in terms of their playing time and their roles and and all that stuff and uh, to great effect. Um, And I agree with you, Keaton. I think that all three of these outfielders would thrive if they were given very specific kind of roles in which they could plan for and expect every single day. Great point. Yeah, totally agree. Now if only Renicky would do it. Yep, but he's a butthead, so <laughs> why not? Uh, let's talk about the pitchers. Uh, we've already mentioned Eovaldi's hot start and Martin Perez uh, getting off to a pretty good start last time. Um, so those things are positives and things we'll continue to watch. But there have been a few other bright spots on the pitching staff. Phillips Valdez, Heath Hembry, who I know we both don't really like, but he's pitched really well. Marcus Walden has looked really good. Um, And then four guys who I put kind of sort of looked good. Um, Brewer, Osich, Workman, and Maza have all sort of looked good. Um, Not amazing, but good enough. Um, I think the guy that me and you are most excited about, though, is Phillips Valdez, who could be someone that the Red Sox have uncovered. Yeah, I'm actually really excited about him. Um, when he was first out there, I actually had no idea who he was, and he's so tiny. Like, I was concerned um, that they had just kind of like pulled a guy off the street. But <laughs> uh, he's been really impressive and yeah. really fun to watch, and... We, I mean, we've talked about um, the back of the bullpen and or just the bottom of the list of bullpen arms and how interchangeable it is. And Valdez has started out that way as maybe the most unnoticeable and recognizable name there as someone that could be swapped out for whoever else at the alternate site. Um, but he's really kind of stood out and started to kind of make a case for himself to be used much more frequently. And I would be totally on board with it. Yeah, I agree. Valdez has looked awesome. Um, I don't know if you caught the fact that I I had commented on uh, Twitter about um, basically how skinny he was and how he 
looks like he should be eating some more food. Um, and I think a <laughs> I relative of uh, Phillips Valdez, because somebody with the last name Valdez replied to me and told me all about his eating habits, um, <laughs> about how he is okay. currently trying to gain weight and uh, eats a lot of food, but has been uh, not so lucky in his ability to gain weight. <laughs> and I thought that was just wonderful that you know it I had is. that interaction. Yeah, but I mean, he's he's a guy who's he's striking out more than a batter an inning and hasn't walked a guy in five and two thirds. Again, five and two thirds is a pretty small sample size, but he's been their most effective reliever by far, and probably their second most effective pitcher on the entire roster. Yeah, and he was okay last year uh, with the Rangers as well. So this hasn't completely come out of nowhere. Um, pretty interesting repertoire too. He's mostly a fastball changeup guy. But the fastball isn't overpowering by any means. It's like a low 90s fastball. Um, he shows the slider enough to you know, give him a third offering. Um, and the changeup has been like a really good pitch. People are swinging through it. Yeah. So. That's all you need to be an effective reliever. Yeah. It's just two, weird. We haven't seen many of them in the past couple of years. Yeah, agreed. Um, Heath Hembry, though. Heath Hembry, I think we should talk about because yeah. uh, Hembry's missed a bunch of time. But the thing that's nice about Hembry versus a lot of the other guys who are currently in this bullpen is that Hembry is one of the few that's just going to come in, throw in, throw that fastball basically right at you. Um, it's not like the fastball for Hembry is completely overpowering, but you know he can pump 94, 95 when he needs it. Um, and he's got that slider that he's been pretty reliant on in the past as well. Uh, Hembry is a really good option, especially because Red Sox have a lot of these curveball heavy guys in this, uh, in this bullpen. Yeah, I was over him like you didn't really need to see him was actually kind of hoping he wasn't going to make this, um, the roster for the season. They might kind of go somewhere else for a reliever, but he has been much better than expected. And I don't hate myself every time he starts to come into a game. Yeah. I think that about sums up how I feel about Henry too. Um, I'm ready to say I was wrong about him um, to some degree. Brewer has looked pretty good. Osich has looked pretty good. Maza has looked okay. Um, Brewer's curveball is a really interesting pitch. Very effective at times. He doesn't throw anything straight, which can be a problem for him. But I've noticed that he's been used frequently uh, by Renicky. Which makes me think that um, Renicky really likes his stuff. Yeah. Um, that's, yeah. I mean, I guess I don't really have much to add. <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, <laughs> there's not a lot to say about that one. Um, Workman, though, Workman has looked shaky a little bit. Um, in the two save opportunities that he got, I know that he loaded the bases. I watched both of them. I just, with clarity, I can't remember exactly. I think he loaded the bases in both of them. But the thing that I loved about Workman is that he continues to stick with his game plan no matter what. And the scary thing about Workman is if he comes in and he can't throw that curveball over the plate and people just lay off of it, he gets himself behind in the count way too often. But he does, man. He just sticks with that plan. And he will throw that curveball when he has to for a strike um, or get a guy to try and chase it. He has very large balls uh, with how he approaches uh, pitching. You know, he just doesn't give a shit. He's not going to deviate from that game plan. You are going to get the fastball or the curveball, and you are going to get them in any count he desires. Yeah. Um He's throwing his fastball at over fifty uh, percent of the time, or sorry, curveball over fifty percent of the time, and his fastball only twenty seven percent of the time, which is the lowest percentage of his entire career. It's actually really funny to look at it because um, since his debut twenty thirteen, every single season his fastball usage has gone down and his curveball usage has just continued to go up, hmm. and it's just a, a wild mix. Um, I'm surprised actually it's not higher than 51% based off of that. Um, the first save he got against the Mets that was like a heart attack 
<laughs> but yeah. I mean, when it's working, you get like games like the second save he had against the Mets, where he just works right through the order and got through the inning. Or because he can't control where any of his pitches are going, it'll be like the first save against the Mets, where he'll have to throw thirty-seven pitches to get through it, and he'll walk the bases loaded. Yeah, um, I don't love that mix. Uh, I nope. love I love the idea that he throws the curveball whenever because he has so much confidence in it, um, and I do like the fact that he's been mixing in that cutter. Um, and he's made a point to like, I, I saw a couple times, I think maybe with Plawecki in the game, he kind of made him go through the signals a few times when he wanted to throw a cutter. Um, so he's, he sticks with that, but man, his fastball, even though it's only like 92 miles an hour, 93 miles an hour, it plays up because of the extension that he gets on it. Uh, and it's been a positive pitch for him. So I'd like to see him use that to stay ahead in the count a little bit more. Yeah, I agree. All right, let's get to pitchers who have not been so hot. Um, and I don't want to harp on these guys too much, but I want to know if there's any of these guys uh, that I'm going to list that you uh, continue to have faith in. Ryan Weber, Zach Godley, Matt Barnes, Austin Bryce, Matt Hall, Ryan Brazier, Jeffrey Springs, Dylan Covey. Any of those guys you have faith in still? Matt Barnes, a little bit still. He's the only one. Um, and it's because, I mean, he there's not many guys in this bullpen who've been uh, effective in high leverage situations, and he's obviously one of them. <clears throat> Last night, notwithstanding, bit of a downer. But I don't, I mean, they don't really have anybody else they can turn to, and he still has a tremendous ability to strike guys out. It's just, again, he gets killed with walks. So, um, I trust his ability when they need a strikeout to try and barrel down and get it. It's just not a ton of faith, but I don't have anywhere else to turn. Yeah, I agree. You have to stick with Matt Barnes here. Um, His fastball velocity has been a little bit lower um, than previous years. That doesn't really bother me at all because a lot of guys are slow starters with their fastball velocity. So obviously if we're looking and it says like 96, 97 for previous years, that's for the whole year. And since we're starting halfway through, uh, I'd have to look at his velocities for early in the season to kind of know whether or not that's an issue. But what is also an issue with Matt Barnes so far has been his usage patterns as well. You've mentioned the walks being a problem with Barnes. He's only throwing 37% fastballs and 61% curveballs. Um, way too many curveballs for me. Not enough over the plate. Yep, totally agree with that as well. All right. So let us get to some listener questions here before we get out of the here and, uh, you know, in the podcast. Um, Dynasty One Stop, who is a uh, commissioner of one of the leagues that Keaton and I are both in, uh, is trolling me with this question. Should the Red Sox <laughs> trade for Garrett Hampson and Kyle Tucker? Keaton, what do you think? I mean, I'd say sure, but I don't know what they could offer. Yeah, I have no interest in either of those human beings. Um, <laughs> so hard pass for me. Um, and he, this is this is sort of an inside joke, but you know, uh, Tucker is an interesting player. Um, the only thing with Tucker is that there's some swing path issues, but I actually don't think that these are realistic trade targets for the Red Sox. It seems like if they're going to make a trade, Keaton, it's going to be for pitching. I would hope so. Yeah. If, it, if it's not, we get some issues. Uh, Matt Corey, friend of the podcast, former member of the podcast, um, he says, who are we taking with the first overall pick? I have not looked at the draft class at all. All right. So <clears throat> I'll be happy with anybody, though. I have to say that it's got to be one of the two Vanderbilt boys. Um, there are two Vanderbilt pitching prospects. Uh, Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter. I'm not sure if Jack Leiter will be draft eligible this year. I should check on that. Um, But I know that Kumar Rocker is draft eligible. So if we could get either of those two Vanderbilt pitchers, if we are indeed this bad all year long, uh, that would be just what the doctor ordered for this Red Sox team. That'd be nice. Yeah. Jackson Posey, 
has our next insane question. Uh, thank you, Jackson, as usual. Uh, this one's geared towards Matthew, but I figured you might like this one, Keaton. It says, Matthew, I noticed on the last pod how much you loved the giant cardboard baby cutouts. So let's say hypothetically someone sends you a sentient giant baby cutout. As per the typical rules of duels, you get to pick a cardboard cutout of your own to fight the giant baby. I'm going to go with a cardboard cutout of Carrot Top, because um, mm-hmm. he seems like the kind of crazy guy that could kill a baby without printing. <laughs> wow. <laughs> the very least, Scarrot. Um, <laughs> Carrot Top is also jacked. Do you remember yeah. that wrinkle about him? I do, I do remember that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's quite odd. Uh, Jacob Hunter has our next question. He says, what happens with Renicky after the season? Fired or steps down? Uh, let's new manager slash core take over. Um, I, I think he's going to – I don't think he'll be fired. I think this is kind of understood as a partial time gig. Yeah, it's a really interesting thought. That's kind of my assumption too. And I think from the beginning we all thought that – or no, maybe not we all, but there was – Definitely the sense that Cora might be coming back. I'm not... I guess, I don't, I, yeah, it's just... It'll be fun to watch play out. I don't know if I have a read on it at all. But um, I guess all three options wouldn't surprise me. Cora comes back, or there's a new manager, or Renicky just gets to keep it. I don't really know what they want to do. I mean, it might be a situation where, you know, Cora wasn't Bloom's guy, so maybe he wants his own manager in there. Yeah, I don't know if Bloom will be on board with bringing back Cora. I would be really happy if the Red Sox brought back Cora because I really liked him as a manager and I've kind of mentioned on this podcast why. Um, But I do think that it's going to be either someone new or Cora. Yep. Um, Alex has our next question. He says, did we mess... I think this is probably a typo. He says, did we mess up... Turning away Gratterall because of his shoulder. He looks good. Um, what do you think about this, Keaton? We ended up getting the return of, of Wong, Downs, uh, and Verdugo rather than uh, Verdugo in Gratterall. Yeah, I like Wong and Downs better, uh, in particular because Gratterall right now is being used as a reliever in the Red Sox when they were making the trade. We're thinking he was going to be a starter. Um so I think there that's a big difference too, um, making a trade for a reliever versus making a trade for a young starter like that. Um, so I guess I don't think it was a mistake based on having Wong and Downs in his place, but I think the hubbub about what kind of happened was a little blown out of proportion. I completely agree. Um, I would much rather have Downs and Wong in the system for this particular team who is who needs a you know, second baseman long-term, and I think that Downs is that. And Gratterall fits great on a Dodgers team that needs a finishing piece in the bullpen, but not so great on a team like the Red Sox that needs starting pitching. So yeah, you nailed it. Uh, Andrew Amir with the next question. He says, if things continue to go poorly, will Eovaldi, Bradley, and others get traded? We kind of answered that one already. We both think that at least the pitchers will be shopped. Um, I'm sure... You know, if they're out of it, they'll probably give Bradley away for whatever they can get, right? Even if it's kind of a fringe guy. Bring I don't up, think so. Like, yeah, because, I mean, they're, if they don't have any plans to, like, reassign him or would, like, think he has more value that way, then, yeah, why not trade but, him for something for 30 games? Yeah, and you can just bring up Duran as a bench piece and put Pilar in center field full time. Yeah, sure could. Uh, Keith Kaito has our next question. He says, for 2021, who goes to the rotation? Who goes to the pen? Who goes to Worcester? Um, that's going to be the AAA team next year. That was hard to get out for some reason. Uh, <laughs> Brian Mata, Hernandez, and Hauk. Um, we both think Hernandez is best suited to be a reliever. Yep. Do you think Mata or Hauk is with the team to break the year next year? No. I think there's a chance that Hauk is with the team in the bullpen uh, to break Yeah, I guess camp. I should say I don't think either of those are going to be a starter. I think Mata could be a starter. So I'm not giving up on him, but I think Mata will be at AAA next year. 
um, to start the year at the very least. I could see Huck being out of the pen, though. Yeah. Dave Lantham uh, has the next question. Um, is Kyle Hart the next Pedro Martinez, or is he even better? Keaton, what do you think? Um, I don't think he's Pedro. I assume this meant, like, better at dominoes or better at, like... <laughs> You know, solitaire, or I mean, clearly he couldn't have meant pitching. A little Parcheesi action, maybe? Yeah, yeah. I'm sure there's something Kyle Hart is better than Pedro at, but certainly not pitching. Parker has our next question. He says, at least Devers looks better on defense, right? Yes. <laughs> He did have a couple absolute web gems against the Yankees. He's playing out of his dome. That's the thing that frustrates us about Devers, right? Because yeah, just want it all the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just do that 100% of the time and mash taters 100% of the time. Um, no mental lapses, no forgetting to set your feet, Devers. Just be a good boy and uh, play great defense and be awesome in the field because we gems. all love you. Web gems or errors. No in between. <laughs> no. No <laughs> average plays. Um, and Tim Blizzard ha- has our last statement. This is not a question. Benny needs some loving, I think. And, you know, dot, dot, dot. What do we think about Benny needing some loving? Like, uh, like some praise on Twitter? Or are we talking like slump buster action? <laughs> Either, I guess. <laughs> well, I don't think uh, slump busters are going to work in the current climate. So, <laughs> I'm just going to have to be positive on Twitter. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think there's a few ladies out there that would be very happy to break the uh, the quarantine rules for for Benintendi. So maybe he can get both praise and, uh, you know. Whatever else he needs, uh, Ben Attendee's, he's got the flow back. It's a very powerful thing. Yeah. Just not at the plate, apparently. All right, that wraps up this edition of the podcast. We do hope you enjoyed it. Um, As usual, please go on and rate and review us. If you haven't done so already, uh, subscribe to the podcast, anywhere you get your podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, anything like that. We do appreciate uh, you doing that for us. Um, Keaton, what are you working on these days? Any, uh, upcoming pieces either here or at the dynasty guru or anywhere else? Yeah. Uh, for over the monster, I had been thinking about before we did this podcast, a piece about don't give up on betting just yet. Um, after the podcast feels like maybe I should write that. So I think I'm going to write that. Okay. Excellent. Look for that to come soon. Uh, for me, um, I just finished, published today, uh, my very last piece in the all-time Red Sox series. If it seems like I've been talking about this for months, it's because I have. I started it April 14th and finished it today, August 3rd, uh, in, in totality. Uh, so that is done uh, 39,630 words later. Uh, so I hope you've enjoyed that. And I don't know what I'm going to write next, but I will write something soon-ish. Thank you for joining us today. We'll be with you again next week. 